audio quality is great. Oh, yeah. Money well spent. Particularly that 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 wonderful that warbly voice of Bob Galen. Warbly. 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 Yeah. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Sorry, <laughs> Doctor Who <laughs> snuck in. Anderson. Are we starting? <laughs> we might as well, since you kicked it off. Hey, welcome to the Metacast. I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Dead silence. Dead silence. I'm so thrown off when it's backwards. I don't know how to You respond. notice that? It does. Yeah. It's backwards. And I'm like, I'm the same thing. I'm frozen. Like, what do I do? What the hell do I do now? <laughs> we're, we're like an old married couple where we have like, the, we dance. You lead, right? I follow or whatever it is, right? Yeah, I don't dance well. Yeah, look at me for God's <laughs> sakes. Um, so, Josh, Bob, what do we want to talk about today? So, we have a request from Scrum Master J. Oh, you're kidding me, Scrum Master J. Scrum Master J left a very nice <laughs> review for us. <laughs> Holy cow! What is happening here? I can't. <laughs> I was just putting down a beat. <laughs> Metacasters, I'm sorry. This we may go to hell today, and I apologize in advance. It's yes. not Josh's fault; it's my fault. I just can't help myself. I'm not even sure how to continue now. So, so Scrum Master J, Scrum Master J, left a very nice review. Thank you for that. That's going to help us reach more people. So, as a reminder, positive reviews help us show up in more searches, so that we we can reach more people and help us meet our goal of helping everyone out there in any way we can. So. He asked a lot of questions, and what it really boiled down to is how do you handle when a role in the Scrum world runs amok? So you have a PO that maybe is new at being a PO, making some really bad choices, Scrum Master doing the same thing, or maybe a team itself where they're new at it and they're reverting back to old habits. How do you start to corral that? So we can knock them down one by one, but that's the general approach of what we're trying to tackle here. So the three primary roles, team, uh, Scrum Master, or Scrum Master J, yep. or uh, Product Owner, uh, Run Amok. Yep. Where, where do we want to start? Let's start with the Product Owner. Yeah. That's pretty low-hanging fruit, don't you think? It is, and I think it is for many of the same reasons that we talked about Scrum Masters being um, challenged in our last podcast, where we talked about growing great Scrum Masters, growing great Product Owners. Maybe that's something we can tackle. There's a lot of places that throw folks into the product owner role without the proper preparation into what I believe to be the hardest role of the three. Um, there's a lot of people that just get chucked into that and like figure it out or go to right. one class and now you're a product owner. Right. So that's a very challenging role when you know what you're doing and it's even more challenging when you're new to it and still learning and trying to trying to grow and expand your skill set. So why don't we why don't we do like a lightning round of Product owner run amok things, okay. and then we could then we could circle back. Common patterns, you mean? Yeah, or just things. I mean, I'll tee one up in that they uh, get into the team shorts until they get into estimation. Yeah. So whether it's in a grooming session or whether it's just every day, uh, the, the product owner is telling the team that something is taking too long, mm -hmm. 
and they have to shorten it. Uh, and have you ever seen a product owner throw a size, like in planning poker? I've yeah. seen that once. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've actually asked product owners to do it. I, I've asked them to do it in a system, like Rally or something, to see if the team is paying attention and to get the team's blood flowing. Right. right. It, because it's, they're sort of, a, you know, I encourage them sometimes to break the rules in a way that's yeah. just so gross that they're really not breaking the rules. They're just, they want the team to react to right. see if the team's really... That's a wake-up call, right? Yeah. That's not a, like, hey, this really It's counts. not. That's not the run amok. But no, I have seen... I, actually, I, I probably see, I've seen it, now that I think about it, maybe 20% of the time, where uh, as they're writing a story, they'll put an estimate in, and mm -hmm. it's their estimate. And then they get stuck. It's not just their estimate. That's the latch point that the team has to talk. So they have to talk the product owner up. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's a real number, and it's so obviously it's a low number. It's a real number in the product owner's mind, mm -hmm. and they're latched on it. Right. And, and so it's, it's this constant thing of, oh, please explain to me why it's higher than this. Right. Right. So you have to justify it to me. So there's some run amuckness right there. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's one, there's one case. What, how about some others from your point of view? Uh, more traditional just requirement changing, like an ever-evolving story. So that can be um, acceptance criteria not fully well-baked, not fully defined, not fully discussed. Yep. Um, or just changing your mind throughout the sprint and asking the team to continue to deliver to deliver against a moving target so changing your mind but not removing anything so so being additive not subtractive correct and and then being you know very you know fluctuating with that um, I w I've seen the same thing of pushing uh, not buffering the team from uh, executives yeah so allowing things to just flow through them to the team. Mm -hmm. And I know people talk about the scrum master role. So, you know, you're supposed to defend the team to some degree. But I think, I think from a business, from an ask point of view, the product owner should be defending their team. They know what the capacity of their team is. And they know when they're pushing too hard. So, yeah, and they're also talking the same language as the execs, right? So they're on the business side of the house. And they can be the translation tool yep. to really be effective at that. Um, changing their mind uh, so not defending the team like not for example another product owner run amok is maybe having crappy demos mm -hmm. and not really caring about it and what I mean by crappy demo is uh, maybe not the right no one comes so no one comes to the demo and uh, or the product owner looks at the team's job as doing the demo to them uh, so there's no sort of transparency or there's no uh, there's no feedback loop for the team from that point of view and the product owner is taking no accountability for that uh, what else? Overloaded product owners, and this may not be their fault, right? Uh, but it's still they're do, they're doing nothing about it. And I think a lot of these aren't their fault yet because they don't know. Or right. Maybe it is their fault. They know better, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they're still learning and they don't know what they're doing wrong. Right. Until they make those mistakes and get corrected. Right. I remember once I forget what company I think it was Channel Advisor, where uh, on some periodic basis, like every three months or every six months the head of the product owner group would have the product owners do a uh, performance assessment of their team members and send it to me, if that makes sense. And it's like a spreadsheet. And and I used to, you know me, I, I had a really hard time with this. Right. You know, I would be like, thank you so much for that ins those insightful comments that I really didn't ask you for <laughs> that I really don't want right now. Uh, and they were, they were literally grading the team's uh, now that feedback wouldn't get, they were giving it to me to take action on, 
but they weren't giving it in the retrospectives or anything like that. Right, so they so, weren't stepping up and trying no, to help no. change things. They were throwing it over the wall saying, hey, Bob, you fix this. Well, and, and they were also separating. Part of the run amok there, I think, was they weren't evaluating themselves. So they were evaluating themselves as being separate from the team, if you get what I mean. Meaning, I'm, I'm going to grade every other person on the team but myself. Yeah, and the and, classic and, finger pointing. Right? Yeah. Where, the, hey, we're struggling, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's, it's not mine. And, it, and this actually, this, this stemmed from the leader of the product owners was setting that tone of, you know, them and us. You right. are separate from the team and do these evaluations and then I'll just escalate it to this Galen guy. And it's his problem to solve all of this stuff. So, to me, that leads into another common pattern where... Folks that do well sit with the team. They're a part of the team, not separated. So I've been orgs in orgs where product owners sat on one side of the building, development teams were on the other, and they were disconnected. And I was like, well, why don't we know what's going on? Well, it's because right. you're in physically separate places. If you sit next to each other, you'll find that just... Even if you're in separate team. orgs, even if you're in separate orgs, you can still yeah. sit with the team. Uh, yep. When I was at Eye Contact, we actually, when we were putting our pods together... We saved the seat for the product owner in each team. Now, they had a desk in another area of the building, mm -hmm. but they literally had a place for them. And they had a place to sit with their team, and they sat there. Uh, they had hours. You know, they, they would establish office hours, for the lack of a better term, mm -hmm. where they would show up and they would hang out with their team. Some of them lived there almost. That was like the place. Right. Some of them were there almost 100% of the time, and they really didn't stay back in their offices and, and things right. like that. It just, But it was a place for them to be there. Uh, what else? Something what? similar in parallel with a lot of things is just having a backlog that's a mess and then not, <clears throat> not seeing how that affects the team and how they're performing. Well, let's pick, on the, let's pick on the backlog because yeah. there's a lot of things there. Having too big of a backlog, having uh, too small point, yeah. of a backlog. Uh, Having a backlog with crappy user stories, like no acceptance criteria right. at all. Um, what else? Um, having a backlog that only has features in it. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, not not having a, a good balance or not not being not being balanced at all with technical debt yeah. or and not even want to hear it, right? Well, there and that's even worse. So that's amplify the run amuckness, right? <laughs> the the amuckness. Uh, there's the, the, the crappy balance in the backlog and then not even being open-minded to hear anything. Right. Uh, and just passing through. Uh, they don't want to, you know, I can't, I can't justify that to them. Right. Uh, so not even being, not even defending the team is part right. of it as well uh, and being balanced. And, and to me, that's, that balance is the product owner's job. It's not the exact, exact there's always going to be pressure in an organization. Yep. Right. There's, a, you know, your job is to somehow balance that pressure, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, never saying no. To so, anybody. To anybody. So always saying yes, uh, being a pleaser, uh, mm -hmm. trying to please everyone and getting caught. Um, I think we, we had a lot of run amokness there. Yeah, okay. How so, do we correct some of that? Yeah, stuff? So, that, so that's, I don't know if we'll be able to take them one by one since we listed the whole bunch of things, but let's talk about, we've done some discussion about this in the past around, as a teammate, how do I help a team member that's struggling, what can I do, what should I do? That's a little bit easier when it's your core skill set. So as a developer, I can sit down and we can pair program. I can ask you what you're not getting and I can help clarify some things. But how do you handle that when it's not your primary skill set? So as a scrum master, my product owner is not performing well. How do I work with them to help them get better? What can I do? Or I'm a team member and I'm frustrated because 
product owner is not performing well and it's affecting us, what can I do? I can't pair program with them to help get them up to speed. How do you bridge that gap into another skill set that you might have a little bit of, but how do you help foster that? What can you do? Well, training. You can encourage the organization training. You can raise it as an impediment. And so an impediment is something you don't have to fix. In fact, very often impediment is something, so there's a team impediment, which we're empowered to fix something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's external impediments where it's causing us angst, but we don't necessarily have the wherewithal, the skill, or even the knowledge, or the courage, or the time to fix it. But it's still killing us. Right. So you could raise it as an impediment. I'd say do that rather than work around it. So let's say the team is even working around it. The team is trying... The product owner sucks at writing the backlog or stories, or it's an imbalanced backlog. Clearly, the team could pitch in and write those stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could, you know, hit their head against the product owner, and they could try. Right. Um, and I, I think that's part of the teamwork. You know, they could do that, but it may not fix it. I, I wrote a blog post a while back. Uh, it was called the weakest link, and it mm-hmm. was a team that was working around a bad product owner mm-hmm. for like a year and a half. And, the, and they escalated it, but it, the product owner never got, they sort of softly escalated it. But they really, they the sprints were successful. The team worked around the weak product owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they delivered the goods. So the executives in the company were like. So it looked like everything was okay, but it, but wasn't, it wasn't as good as it could be. Well, it was terrible, actually. The team, there was attrition. People, okay. people were getting so tired of doing two jobs on the team that, that, they started suffering attrition and morale. They had been suffering morale issues. And then people just said, I want to get off this. This team sucks. Right. And they tried to notify it. So I think it, you know, raising it as an impediment, but being serious about it. One of the things I advised in the blog post uh, is to not cover up things. And, and I don't know if this was the wisest advice, but I, but my, I was alluding to don't cover it up. Let it suck let the product owner fail. So there's a fine line between good collaboration and and if someone's not doing their part, uh, are you really improving the system? Are you really being congruent if you're covering for someone for so long, for so drastically? You don't solve the problem, you abstract it away, sort of through your own hard work and dedication that could and likely in the long term have a more negative effect. So make it be transparent. Now, I, I was trying to walk the line in the blog post. I remember I was really concerned. I'm like, don't throw someone under the bus after a week. Right. That's not what I'm saying. We need to help each other. But if you have a systemic problem, and maybe that this applies to any of our roles run amok, uh, sometimes in agile teams there's an inclination to hide it mm-hmm. or for to have other folks cover for it. Uh, and, and I don't know if that systemically improves things. So let it shine. I want to echo what you're saying there is that first reaction, first instinct should be to try to help, to jump in like the pair programming thing we talked about right. where I'm not doing well, you sit down with me, you're a much more senior developer, much more. <laughs> and you sit down and you pair with me and you figure out I don't understand collections or whatever and you okay let's do this we'll walk through it and then the light bulb comes on and everything's better we should try and do that first but when it becomes systemic that's when you need what's a collection 
So, so I mean, if you want to pair with me, we'd be have to we'd have to be talking about register swaps in assembler <laughs> language. Yeah, I is, don't think we'd be able to pair. Is that synonymous with a collection? Is that sure. a collection of registers? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, okay. Now yeah. I understand. Two is a collection. You, more than can one. you imagine you and I pairing together? <laughs> I'm sorry, I took you off crap. I couldn't help it when you. I was like, you know, I'm an assembler kind of guy, so I wonder if Josh will appreciate that. Um, uh, I appreciate it. I just would never want to be associated with assembly language programming. Yeah, I did it in college, and it was real men. Sure. Yeah. yeah go you, ahead. Whatever you say, Bob. You, you take that label. I'm more than happy to give you that. That's, I, yeah. No, no. So I diverted you. What were you? I hope I didn't overly divert. I don't you. remember now. No. Oh, no. So, so the, so the fact that, what we're not saying is, which you said a little bit about. I really want to amplify that is that the first reaction should be to help. It should be to jump in. We are all a team. We are a unit. We win together. We lose together. Right. The problem is when that becomes systemic. So sprint after sprint after sprint after sprint, nothing gets better. What you should see is things should get better, but when that person's not putting in the time to get better, to really absorb what people are trying to give them or respond or doing work whenever they can to get better, then that's when the time's right to really shine a light on it. I mean, I think in all of these cases, if you said Scrum Master dysfunctional or whatever, uh, product owner, even the team, you want the team to take some accountability. But what I was trying to do in this case with the product owner is they had asked, so they had, they had talked about it, they were working around it, they had talked about it in retros, the team had done everything they could. Uh, the product owner would actually try to get better for a week and then regress, try mm -hmm. to get better for a week. So the, the, the curve was always just dysfunctional, right. right, underperformance, which that's a critical role, as you said earlier. They lightly escalated it to leaders, but then the leaders didn't take any action, and that's where it le was left off. Mm -hmm. So a year and a half or two years later, that it was that cycle was continuing. I, I think the the escalation should have been harsher. That's what I was trying to get at. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Leadership needs to. I think in the product owner role, if you have a a product owner run amok, the product owner or they report to someone in the product organization that person has to take ownership of that. Yep. I mean, the team should probably try to cohese around them in the early stages, but if you have a systemic problem, mm -hmm. that person has to take that on and do something about it to the degree that it's affecting the team. Right, and that goes back to a lot of things we've talked about over the years of courage being something important, of having the courage to go up, you know, to say, hey, Bob, as a product owner, you stink, you know, and not, you don't have to slap them in the or, face like that, but or, work work with them, try and get them to understand that we need more from this role and how can I help? Right? Then, so I always try and approach it like that of how can I help, what can I do? We're not operating as efficiently as we can. What can I do? Yep. And then and then if that doesn't work, go to their boss and then have an expectation that their boss clearly communicate what what, what the group didn't do in this case is they didn't clearly communicate the impact, I don't think. Mm -hmm. So since the team was still being successful the leader thought they were just whining about right. the PO. Yeah. Uh, but really what was happening is there was a dysfunction here. They had a serious human resources problem and something. Now, that doesn't mean fire that product owner, but it put them on a performance improvement plan. Right. Get them a coach uh, or another PO. Get mm -hmm. them a mentor, mm -hmm. but do something. Well, they never, ever took that higher level action. They, the, the supervisor, the manager never took it. 
I would apply that logic to all three roles. Right. Agreed. If if you're so the scrum master, what do you do with a you know a sort of a, a scrum master run amok? The team can do a lot, a lot of, the, of a lot of stuff, but yeah. at the end of the day, let's say they're underskilled or mm -hmm. they're, they're they're not self aware, mm -hmm. so they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. right. Well, the team can come up to the bar at some point with a scrum master, but at some point, that whoever's that person's manager is, the organization needs to step in. Right. Uh, from an HR perspective and and try to get them to improve and even the team I don't think if you have a team member who's dysfunctional or run amok right uh, that that the team can handle all of those HR issues themselves mm -hmm. and I think if we were to talk about the amuckedness as we're making up words of a scrum master you'd see a lot of the same actions as the product owner that's run amok right they do a lot of the same things it's those roles stepping in areas they shouldn't and making assumptions they shouldn't and not helping the group be as prepared as they can. Well, I think let's that's, that's go to Scrum Master. Some things that you would see, I, I agree with you, that it would be look like the product owner in some cases, so the estimation. Uh, but there would be things that I wouldn't see a PO normally do, like uh, pro Scrum Master solving the team's problem for them. Mm -hmm. Let's say they're a programmer, they have a programming background. They would be in injecting their design thoughts, their construction thoughts. So beyond the estimate itself, they'd be telling the team how to do things. Right. Uh, that would be a, a muckedness. They would be telling the team. Uh, they would be handling uh, dependencies for the team, uh, like writing a project plan behind gotcha. the scenes and managing the team. Josh, you, at 3 o'clock today, you need to go talk to Bob. Right. Uh, and, and at three thirty, you can have a bathroom break, but only at three thirty, and only for two minutes, because then you have to get back to coding. But I've seen scrum masters that are sort of they look at themselves as their role as being uh, a conduct, not a conductor, but a a control, right? Yeah. A control entity for the for the actions of the group. Yeah, there, there uh, was a tweet about a blog article, I believe Ryan Ripley, who's commented back and forth with us on the Metacast here a couple times via Twitter was asking a question of uh, what happens when a scrum master forces the team to have a higher velocity in the upcoming sprint. Is that good? Is that bad? Yep. And the initial reaction is bad, right? You shouldn't be doing that. But then I thought kind of like you threw out with some of the product owners of throwing a number just to kind of wake the team up that what if it's a team that's become stagnant, right? And maybe like, let's just try something. Let's just try. But the intent, right? Yeah. So I don't think you're a mug if you, th if you throw challenges out right. or wild-ass ideas out. Uh, but let's say you measured the team for every sprint for a year, and the only time you've, you let them know that they were meeting your expectations as a scrum master is when their velocity ticked up, sprint over sprint over sprint. Right. That's run amok. Right. From, so, so your only metric... I mean, you're turning into a pointy-headed Dilbert manager from the mm -hmm. point of view of just measuring one thing right. uh, from a team perspective. Uh, what else? Not defending the team. I would think this would apply to the product owner. Right. And I don't mean just preventing someone from coming in and interrupting the team, but being proud of your team. So to me, there's defending. Like, let's say you're the director, Josh, and you wanted to go into your team and go right into a team member and say, I want you to start working on this. Mm -hmm. I would hope that Richard would sort of Smack me. Smack you or yeah. usher you out. So that's defending you from in, in, you know, getting engaged in the work of the team. Uh, but what if, you, what if he heard you in the hallway bad-mouthing the team? Mm -hmm. 
uh, I would hope that he, you know, let's say he, you were talking to your new CTO or something like that, you're bad-mouthing your team, mm -hmm. and he goes by and he hears that, or the product owner for that matter. I would hope that they would step up and say, no, hold it, time out, <laughs> time right. out here a second. Uh, I know, you know, I know we're not perfect, but, uh, so, so defending the team, or in the, the run amok case, not defending the team. Just allowing that to happen. Can right. you mention a scrum master just walks right by that and allows that to happen, and hears it, or, or even worse yet, what would even be more muckiness? Agree. Get involved. <laughs> yeah, they really do suck. Pile on. Yeah, yeah, and they're sucking even worse today. Let me let me let me explain. Because I'm watching them in this past hour. Exactly. They've had two water breaks. Yeah, and their velocity is actually going down by two milliseconds or something <laughs> like that, right? Yeah. So uh, so things. It's not just the telling of the team. I guess what I'm trying to say is there's the behavior around the team, mm -hmm. like the defense of being proud of your team, um, telling, never telling the team to take a break. So if we're, you know, let's talk about the improved velocity. One of the dangers there is working the team too hard. I mean, I, I've literally told teams that we need to slow down mm -hmm. or take a break. Let's take the afternoon off or something. Uh, as a scrum master, as a coach, it's just we need to recharge our batteries. We've been running too hard, um, and I, and I think you know part of running amok would be never doing that, mm -hmm. never being like human factors aware. Let's pick on the team a little bit. What would be the team running amok? I'll tee one up. No one ever helps anyone. Right. Right. So it's so always never a, swarming. So never swarming. But swarming is such a lightweight word. I mean, like never helping another team member. Period. Just in your, you're just very wow. selfish, yeah. right? It's always about me. Well, it's not not as selfish in that way, but it's about my work. Yeah, I've got my tasks, my story, and I've got my stuff done. If I get mine done, I'm good. And I don't care a rat's patoot about anyone else around me. I'm okay, and and that literally comes off in their language, in their body language, in their sprint planning, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it's multiply that. That's that's not just an individual. That's the entire team. I've seen entire teams that are sort of like that, mm -hmm. not in a gross way, but but they literally you can tell. Right. By observing them, that they they're just little individuals. They're not a team, so that would I'll tee that up. That lack of swarming or that lack of collaboration. I think another thing is lack of engagement in the ceremonies. So you go to refinement, and it's the poor product owner there talking, trying to pull discussion out, not engaging, not adding value. Those are things that uh, can be simple. It's like, oh well, that's the product, right? The product owner's in charge of the stories right <laughs> things like that and or knowing that 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 the team lead is going to figure it out kind of back to what you're saying of not not helping so yep. through over the wall that's that's not my problem or or i'm a back-end database engineer and until a back-end database story comes down they start you know you see them looking at the ceiling in a grooming session or a planning session mm -hmm. or they roll their eyes mm -hmm. or or whatever they're they're only folks are only engaged in things that they really care about uh, that very narrowly care about mm -hmm. uh, testers that only care about the testing side of things developers that only care about the development side of things yep. uh, and you can see that pattern very often grooming is a great place mm -hmm. to see how bad or good that is mm -hmm. uh, from the point of view of just interest just even ask you know I'd love it if someone said I don't know like why did you at least they're engaged mm -hmm. they're listening enough to say I have no clue but they'll, they'll say that. They'll say, I've listened, but I have no clue. 
Uh, but maybe three sprints later, if there's a lot of that work, they start, even then, they start learning just by listening. What else from a team perspective? Uh, padding estimates. So from the playing games with estimates, yeah. uh, worrying about estimates, padding estimates. Remember when we were here, we brought up the example of dude of signing that thing of... Yeah. Of it not being a blood oath and all those things. And right. That it's a forecast, not a... It's a, I mean, you get in, involved in that stuff. I mean, I'm not picking on that, but at some point you got to get through the signatures mm-hmm. and just just talk about the work right? and not get caught up in, is someone going to misinterpret it this way? Is someone going to take it as a commitment or a, is it a half promise or a three-quarters promise or something like that? Get through the, get through the numbers and actually talk about the how of the work. Like what's it, what's the most interesting way we can construct this? Mm-hmm. What's the most efficient way we can build this thing? Uh, this assembly module. Um, <laughs> I had, to, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> so, so teams run amok. Well, how do we fix some of those things? Uh, to Not me, fix, but how do we? How do you begin to tackle those? I think yeah. it boils down to courage and trust, right? Of, I've got to trust that the organization is going to take the information I give them and use it in the right ways. And if they don't, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to have the courage to go and say, hey, listen, that's not how this is intended to be. This is how we should be working, trying to help them understand the way we should operate. That's the Or having, having the courage and the trust that I can come to you as a fellow developer and say, listen, why the sprint success isn't defined by whether you get your tasks done and then you can go home. It's that right. we get everything done, that we meet our sprint goal. And why aren't you working with us to make that happen? You just made me think about it. I, I've spent the last like, couple of days this week, I was doing leadership training. And I was agile leader, you know, traditional leadership. Right. Uh, and trying to talk about agile leadership and what that shift looks like. And trust came up. And it was downward trust towards the team. I was talking about, you know, we spent a lot of time, I was hammering on, you have to trust your team, you mm-hmm. have to trust your team. Uh, and what that looked like. But you just dawned on me. There's um, when I'm talking to teams, I'm not sure I emphasize the upward trust enough. Right, and it goes both ways. And uh, to, you know, so trust your leadership, trust your product owner, mm-hmm. uh, trust the roles, trust right. the people's intentions are basically basically good. Right. Instead of assuming, you know, reading a thousand Dilberts, it's one of the dangers that I hate about Dilbert. If you read a thousand Dilberts, you look at all bosses in your company right. as being pointy-headed Dilbert managers, right. and it marginalizes them, it dehumanizes them, right? It's insulting. Uh, so the trust has to go upward as well and outward to the team, mm-hmm. as well as being a downward thing. And I don't know if I emphasize that enough sometimes. No, and and as we try and build the culture that I aspire us to have here at the Dude, there's a lot. That we're working through that of that baggage of people have of why well, was really never allowed to talk to one of my fellow developers and say hey why why aren't you performing like that was just like my boss handled it or nothing happened right whereas now we're asking them to operate as a unit and to work together and to trust each other and create that safe zone within their squad that I can I can have a discussion where I'm not attacking you Bob I'm just trying to figure out how we get better. And we're not going to get better if we can't get you to execute better. And that's a difficult thing, and people aren't often equipped with the tools to do that. So that's something that as a management person or somebody, a scrum master, somebody 
needs to help give people the tools to do that because that's not in everybody's bag of tools. So we have to provide the training or work with them to be able to handle the situations. Because I've had folks come to me very junior and there was a senior that was on their team just underperforming. Right. I just really don't know what to say. What do I do? How do I handle this? I know you want me to say something, but I don't know what to do. So then it was coaching them through that process of how to right. how to begin that conversation, how to have it, the steps you take, what you do if it works, if it doesn't work, all of that. So that takes leadership from a bunch of different angles to coach people through that because the way most or organizations run make this approach non-standard. Right. So you have to help them understand how to work in this different way. There's a book called Crucial Conversations. Uh, and the authors, it's a four, I think it's a four author team and they have a series, it's Crucial Conversations and Crucial Something Else. It was pretty popular. And we, um, we had some budgeted eye contact in the HR group for uh, organizational training. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, we asked a, a local group to put together a half day Crucial Conversations class. And we ran our agile teams through it. So every team member- That's cool sort of and went through this class and it was it, and it was based on feedback it was based mm -hmm. on the same feedback you're hearing uh, both in surveys so we heard it anecdotally from people in one-on-ones mm -hmm. but we also heard it in survey data uh, that are and it was sort of centralized around our retrospectives weren't effective or, or folks they were effective but then the conversations bogged down right so they would raise things but then it was like then then it would sort of stagnate because no one these were hard conversations to have mm -hmm. And the folks didn't have the skills, and we practiced. Uh, I remember when they put the class together. Probably it was a half-day class, and probably two hours of it was uh, role-playing mm -hmm. and practicing different in different scenarios. How do you give? So we gave everyone like a um, a conversation uh, framework. Mm -hmm. uh, so you get a conversation framework, and then we practice some skills around some conversations. I actually we actually took. You know, when they were putting the class together, we took real team scenarios right. and brought them into the t into the training. So they weren't made up. They were actually right. scrum agile yeah. team. You know, like Josh. You know, you're not pulling your weight. Right. Yeah. So the 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 team member is not pulling their weight, or the development team member, the uh, architect is too pig-headed. Mm -hmm. um, the developer and the tester never pair together conversation or or whatever the scrummer fault conversation. Mm -hmm. And it, it didn't solve world hunger for us, but it, it, it was an important, I think, class to give everyone some chops. Right. And you could see our performance improving over time. Cool. And, and I, think, I think that's amplifying what you're saying. I, I think giving people, probably in this run amok stuff, a baseline problem or a baseline challenge is how. Right. And, and we often say, well, now you're an agile team, now you're self-directed. Right. So challenge, open your, you know, manage, yeah. manage your speak. Yeah. I, I do this. I'm, yeah. you know, you can nail me for doing this, but it's like, you know, well, you just, just have the conversation. Well, no, I've never been trained. Right. I mean, I, I'm right. I'm writing code or I write tests. I right. don't know how to have these like hard conversations with people. And I'm an introvert. Very often it's yeah. not in our wheelhouse of strength. Right. And, and even as a manager, right, you go through that. I can remember the first person I had to let go. Boy, did I handle that horribly. Yeah, exactly. Because no one showed me how to do it. I fumbled my way and learned, but that first time was 
painful. No one sat me down and said, okay, this is going to be hard. Yep. Here's how you do it. Here's how you manage this. Um, so then for us to expect our team members to do the same without giving them some tools, it's just not going to happen. And then you get frustrated because they're not talking. So why aren't you talking? Like, well, I know what I should say. I just don't know how to say it. So that's the that's the big key that I think a lot of people are missing. Well, even it comes back to a scrum master run amok who's not so who's not creating these conversations, right? Who's not creating a landscape to have these conversations and to make them safe, right? And to make them non personal for it. So you can have training around crucial conversations, but then is your coach or is your scrum master sort of facilitating that at a team level? Yep. And and the dysfunction or the run amok would be not. Or they're actually slamming people. They could be slamming on top of people themselves mm -hmm. and throwing people under the bus as opposed to creating sort of that landscape. Do you think you've done this justice, this question from that person? I feel like we have. I hope so. Scrum Master Jay can let us know if yeah. we need to dig in more, but I feel like we... We've talked about a lot of the dysfunctions, but I think we centralized around... I think it feels like we oscillated nicely around sort of the... The, the bad behaviors, but also some, some good topics. And I don't think you separate the three roles. Right. So we separated the three roles. But I think in our, at, at least in our discussions around recommendations, it, in my mind, the team came together, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So yeah. it wasn't... I think you solved the problems all the same way. Yeah, you solve them the, the same way, and they're with the team. Right. And you don't marginalize. So maybe that's part of the solution matrix is you don't try to just say, well, the scrum master sucks, so we're going to put them out on an island or something like that. Mm -hmm. They may, and they have a specific role, but you solve it as a team. Yep. Uh, or you escalate it as a team, or, or you, you view it as a team. You have the conversations as a team. Mm -hmm. uh, the retrospective, I think, is a central place to talk about this stuff. I mean, it's why I work so hard, you and I have talked about this, of creating safety in the retrospective. Right. I mean, one of the reasons... I mean, I always want to attend a retro for most teams as a coach. Mm -hmm. I want to stick my nose in there. I want to see what's going on. Uh, clearly, I want to tell people. I want to give advice. Uh, but I, I try to respect the retro right. and, to, and to create this safe zone. Uh, and, and you do the same thing. Yeah. But we need the team to cohese in there. And yeah. So the safety is not free. right? You have the safety. The safety is there so you can take some action. So maybe that's the that's the point is have some of those conversations. One of the best pieces of advice you ever gave me was to kick myself out of a retro, because I w I didn't feel like we were accelerating the way we could or should be, and you said, well maybe it's because you're there as the boss. So I extracted myself out, and we really took off at that point because it was more safe than it was, and I was frustrated that it was viewed as not safe because I was there because I was trying to encourage that environment, but. Roles and responsibilities, sometimes those are hard to shed. It's, it's, I remember that conversation. And, and people even take it the wrong way. It's not that you're bad. In fact, the, the better you are as a leader, that can have a negative effect just by you being there as well. Right. For people are trying to please you. So it's not that you're, oh, I'm bad, so I have to kick myself out. Mm -hmm. No, it, it goes both ways. It's, it's, it's not about the person. It's about the role right. sort of interfering with the conversation, the people's view of you, yeah. uh, almost independent of, of who, you know, what your title is or who you are. Yeah, I, so I was trying to disconnect myself from that role and be a good team member, yep. but it 
was impossible for them, and rightfully so, to disconnect the two. Because while I wanted it to be that way, it didn't matter that I wanted to be that way. But in their world, in their view, I was still the boss. So having me be there was affecting the retrospectives in a negative way. So extracting me out made a difference. Yep. Well, you're even, I mean, I hear you, how do I say this? I mean, you're growing, I think. I mean, you talked a couple weeks ago about Richard and noticing what a good scrum master does Mm -hmm. and relying on that. So I, I I think you've been... You've been in these small contexts, which almost draws you in, yeah. Because you're in a small organizational dynamic. One, you're in a small organizational dynamic. Two, you're a leader in it, mm-hmm. uh, and three, you have great agile chops. So you want to sort of it pulls you in, yeah. But over time, I think you've you're getting a, a renewed sense of balance. I'm trying of of when to go in and when not to go in, yeah. Or even like trusting the scrum master, and maybe that comes back to bringing it back to this talk is trust the roles to some degree as well. So have these conversations, but be patient. Like come back to the basics of the role. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's how, you know, remind someone of, oh, you're the scrum master. Did you read? Have you read what that's about? There's some really nice right. references around on the web of what a good scrum master looks like, what a good PO looks like, what a good team responsibility looks like. Mm-hmm. When we post this, there's actually a nice uh, series of articles that I've wrapped into a PDF from a guy, something Overeem is his name. Okay. But he did a sort of, what does a good PO look like? What does a good scrum master look like? What what are good team characteristics? Okay. I can attach that. That might actually be a nice compliment to this Metacast. Sounds good. The other thing I'm gonna attach is we did a Metacast not, well, probably about a year ago about how to handle when there's a underperforming teammate. What do you do? What are the tools that as a teammate, how can I tackle Oh, that would be a cool attachment so as well. So it should fit in well with this. Good. So Josh, so Bob, let's stick a fork in this bad boy. Absolutely. Uh, how do folks get a hold of us, Josh? However you found us, find us in the same spot. Find us again. Yes. Just follow Please and do. And, and the needle points to True North. <laughs> it, sure, that's what we tell ourselves. <laughs> exactly. And we keep buying. And when you look at True North, you'll see Josh's smiling face and my own up there. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. And then you should run away. That was pretty schmaltzy, wasn't it? That was pretty bad. Yeah, I know. All right. All right. I'm not going to apologize for it, though. I'm pretty proud of it. That's okay. So find us the way you do. Give us feedback. Yes. We pay uh, Clearly, we pay attention to the feedback. We try to address it. Yep. Uh, We'll we'll adjust our conversations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Review us. Uh, And it's not just good reviews. Give us us your honest, congruent feedback, and we can handle it. Absolutely. Uh, we, Bring can, it on. we can handle the truth, and we'll make as many adjustments. Josh and I try to be as agile as we can be. We're not just talking about it. We try to walk it if, as, but as good as we can. So with that being said, from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, yep. or at least 2.578 <laughs> kilometers from beautiful downtown Ooh, Cary. kilometers, North, nice. <laughs> downtown Cary, North Carolina. I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And bake. Take care, y'all.